You're listening to audio from Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to www.vcflongview.org. Singing those words this morning, proclaiming that truth, remembering together the faithfulness of God, no matter what we are experiencing, that really is the echo of the story of Joseph. If you've been with us the last few months, we've, we've watched Joseph kind of sink deeper and deeper into life situations. But today, he's going to find himself before the king of Egypt, before Pharaoh himself. And so to frame this morning, I'm going to read for you Genesis chapter 21, or 41, verse 25. Listen now to, to what Joseph says to Pharaoh. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Well, let's stop right there. Go ahead and have a seat. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God has shown to Pharaoh how he is going to bring salvation, how he's going to give a great gift to the world at that time. There is a lot to unravel in today's chapter. In fact, you're going to want to have your Bible open to, to Genesis chapter 41 for, for the entirety of this morning's message. But before we get to any of that, I want to set some things up for you by, by telling you about how our family, we actually finished the Christmas season Friday. We, we finally are done with Christmas. I'm not sure about you, but our Christmas, it was prolonged. We had some extended family that were traveling, and there was some sickness, and so we were not able to gather with, with my wife's, uh, with her family until just this Friday. And so we gathered up together with the family, and sure enough, there was aunts and uncles and nephews running around and all the, 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 all the kids and, and all the really good Christmas food again, which, you know, I... There's good there, right? And, uh, and so we gathered together as a family, and, and we did a bit of a devotion before we did the, you know, tearing into presents. And so we had our devotional time as a family. It was really, it was, it was wonderful, right? But then after that, we, we did stockings, and then, uh, then my wife's dad, our kids call him Papa, Papa kind of starts to, to speak, and he says, well, you guys know uh, a little while ago, Michaela, that's our daughter, Michaela came to me and she says, Papa, why don't you do Christmas presents at your house like they do in the Nutcracker? And, and I didn't really know what this was, right? But in the Nutcracker, what they do is they have a tree set up and there are strings tied to the tree that run all around the house to all these different places. And the children, they have to go and they have to grab a string and they have to follow the string to wherever their present is in the house, as I understand it. Does that sound correct? Some of you guys know the story, okay? And so uh, Papa tells this, and as Papa tells us, he says, well, Michaela, I want you to go and, and grab this, uh, I think it was a present or a card. I don't actually don't remember how it started, but she went and she grabbed something off the tree, and as she did, she discovered that there was a string tied to it. And so she began to follow this string. And she followed the string out the room, and it was hid perfectly. It was like tucked into the carpet and then wrapped into the banister of the, the stairwell. And it went and ended up in this like, uh, like this hidden bench chest thing upstairs. And so she found her presents, and she brought them down, and she opened them, and it was really fun. And we're all looking at the tree, and there are no other strings that we can see, right? And so we're like, okay, good. This is, uh, I'm, we're all kind of, I'm relieved, right? I don't want to follow this string. And, uh, and so then Papa... He says to his son, he's got two daughters and one son. He says, first of all, to Ella, and she's the only granddaughter, right? And so all the pink fluff and all that stuff, right? But then he says to his son, he says, well, 
Randy, you're my only son, and so I want you to go and grab that card off the tree. And so Randy walks over, and he grabs the card, and as he does, he realizes there's a string to it. And so Randy has to follow the string into the tree and then down around the tree and back behind all these presents. And it's like in the couch and under the couch and out into the other place. And, and so Randy, who's a grown man, he's like a 30-something adult. He's following this string around trying to find his presents. And so sure enough, he does. And, and one of the, the, you know, there's a bunch of boys, grandsons, and one of them says, oh, they're the special ones. We're going to be left out until they go to the tree. And sure enough, they find a string, and they have to follow it. And then we have to do the same thing. We have to follow it. And it was a really, it was a great time. Lots of laughter. It took lots of time. In fact, you guys can all store that idea for next year, mom and dad. This is how you can have your kids go find their presents. I'm sure some of you will use that now. But, uh, but at the end of the day, it was really fun. And I was left there reflecting on today's passage and what we're going to look at today from Genesis chapter 41. And I was thinking about how Papa how he was giving these great gifts and he was doing it not just by dropping the gift in their lap, but, but by this process of revelation. He was, he was allowing the gifts to be revealed and it was made me think about today's message, which I actually, I had the big idea before we even experienced any of that. But today's message, today's passage, what we're going to see is that God provides not, not just a gift, he doesn't just airdrop salvation out of nowhere. What we're going to see is God provides his revelation of his salvation. Now, there's a lot to be uh, fleshed out still, and we're going to do that today. But, but where I want to start is I want us to start to be thinking about how God is a God. He doesn't just give salvation. He doesn't just give a gift, but he gives it with his revelation. That said, let, let's, open up to, let's open up to the book of Genesis if you have not been with us these last few weeks, let me start with a little bit of a recap of the life of this man named Joseph. Maybe you're here today and you've never heard of him before. That's fine. We can catch you up to speed really quickly. Let me start by telling you about Joseph. Joseph, he was born into a promised family and Joseph was the favorite son. He has 11 brothers and many sisters, but Joseph is the favorite son. In the favoritism of the father for the son, it did not go very well for Joseph because Joseph was the favorite. His brothers, the text says in Genesis 37, hated him. It's not that they were annoyed with him. It's not that they had to put up with him. It's not that every once in a while they had to deal with him. His brothers, it says numerous times, Genesis 37, they hated him. And dad favored him. And, and Joseph, early in his life, he ends up having these dreams. And these dreams did not make anything any better because Joseph shares these dreams. And in his dreams, Joseph is standing tall and all of his family is bowing before him. And you can only imagine this made his brothers hate him even more. And so when the, the opportunity came, when the brothers were far away from home tending the sheep, and when Joseph saunters over toward them, they seize him, and they, they plan on killing him, but then they sell, sell him into slavery. So Joseph ends up way away from his father, way away from the land of Canaan. He ends up being a slave in the land of Egypt in the house of a man named Potiphar. And as Joseph serves as a slave in the house of Potiphar, Joseph does well. In fact, Joseph does so well because the Lord is with him that Joseph is elevated to the place of prominence in the house. Joseph actually ends up managing the entirety of the house for Potiphar. One problem. Potiphar's wife has eyes for him. 
And Potiphar's wife pursues him over and over and over again. And then the text says, and then one day, one fateful day, she corners him in the house when no one else is present. She rips off his garment as he runs away. And then she accuses him of attacking her. And so now Joseph isn't just a slave. Joseph ends up being thrown in prison. That's where we were last week. Last week, we looked at Joseph in prison, and when he's in prison, Joseph ends up rising above the ranks of everyone else, and he ends up running the prison as a prisoner. And one day, one day he comes into the prison, and he finds two of Pharaoh's chief men, his chief cupbearer and his chief baker. He finds these two men, and their faces are down. They're downcast. They're, they are bothered. He says, what's wrong? And they tell him that they had dreams, just like Joseph had two dreams. These men, they both have dreams in one night, two dreams in one night. And Joseph, by God's power, interprets these dreams he says to the cupbearer, guess what? You are going to be elevated and restored to your position. And he says to the baker, not such good news. You are going to be executed. You are going to be hanged. And his interpretations prove true. And where our story ends is after Joseph tells the cupbearer, please remember me when you are restored into the court of Pharaoh. Remember that I'm here in an unjust way. Remember that I am innocent. The story ends, says the chief or the, the cupbearer, forgot him. He did not remember him. And now we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41, it does not begin with Pharaoh, or it does not begin with Joseph in prison. It actually begins with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the land at that day. Join with me. Let's see how God, we're going to see how God provides his revelation of his salvation, but let's start by seeing how God provided for Pharaoh dreams. Two more dreams show up in our story. Let's begin. Chapter 41, verses 1 through 8. It says, After two whole years, two years of Joseph waiting in prison for the cupbearer to remember him. Two whole years. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Now, let's, let's just slow down for a minute. The Nile River is the lifeblood of Egypt. The Nile River is where all their irrigation runs from. The Nile River is what makes Egypt prosperous. The Nile River is what makes all of their agricultural uh, prosperity work. It is what makes them live. Pharaoh has a dream, and he's standing by the source of, of prosperity for Egypt. Verse 2. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. It's, it's like a nightmare that wakes you up. Verse 5. And he fell asleep. And he dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plumpful ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was just a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. 
And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Let's start to, let's start to unravel this. What you have here in this moment, you have Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt. Pharaoh, who is the king of a, a pantheistic world where there's all these other gods. In fact, Pharaoh himself is considered divine. He is considered a god. And Pharaoh wakes up in the middle of the night twice with a dream that is vivid and that is haunting. Has that ever happened to you? You ever woken up in the middle of the night with a dream that's so real that you, you're shaking? You're like, what, what was that? This happens to the king of Egypt, not just once, but he falls back asleep. I don't know if he went and got a drink of water, maybe used the bathroom, made himself back in bed, and, but it happens twice. He, he's, he's awoken twice from this dream, and then in the morning, it says his spirit is troubled. It's like you have a rough night of sleep, you have these, these terrible dreams, but then in the morning you can't shake it. It's like the thought keeps coming back to your mind, it keeps gripping your heart, you can't quite let go of this. And so what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh, he is troubled in his spirit because God is trying to get his attention. We're going to see that when we get to verse 25. It, but here's the issue. Joseph gathers all of the wise men. He gathers all of the magicians. Look at verse 8. Uh, or, yeah, verse 8. It says, In the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them in his dream, but there was none who could interpret it to them to Pharaoh. He, here's his problem. Pharaoh is bothered. He is, he's had these nightmares. And he calls in all of the wise men. Remember, this is a typical thing. The dream interpretation was big business in ancient Egypt. And there is not one who can interpret now, this language might seem familiar because last chapter, chapter 40, when the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, when they had their dreams, they were distraught. Why? They said, there is no one who can interpret it. Very similar language, very different situations. For the men in prison, there was no one that could interpret it. Why? Because they were in prison. They couldn't hire someone. For Pharaoh, this is even worse. He can hire the entire world. He can have anyone in his presence in almost an instant notice but all of these wise men, all of these Egyptian or these magicians, they are inept. So Joseph, he, or Pharaoh, he has these dreams, and we know these dreams are for God. God provides these dreams to Pharaoh. Let's keep going. Not only does God give these dreams to Pharaoh, but the text shows us that God he he positions people for His provision. It's almost as if God is moving his chess pieces into place so he can accomplish his purposes. Look at verses 9 through 16. It says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him, when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. Verse 13. And as he interpreted to us, so, came, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. 
And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, verse 15, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that, ye, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. The story develops. You see that God is positioning people in the spots that he wants for his purposes. First of all, we see the cupbearer. The cupbearer, finally, his memory starts to work, right? I mean, this cupbearer, who the end of the last chapter says he did not remember Joseph, but he forgot. We learned last week, this is not a, oh, I forgot to turn off the lights when I walked out of the room. This is not a, a lapse of memory, but this is a lack of moral character. He did not do the right thing. He did not bring this innocent man to Pharaoh's attention. He had morally failed Joseph, but now he remembers. He says, I remember when I had an offense against you, when I offended you. He doesn't want to bring this to Pharaoh's attention because he doesn't want to bring up bad memories. But in this moment, he, it becomes clear he needs to bring this young Hebrew man to Pharaoh's attention. So the cupbearer remembers Joseph, and then Pharaoh calls Joseph Look at verse 14. The cupbearer has barely even finished speaking. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Why, why the urgency? Well, three times in the text it says, there is no one that can interpret the dream. Verse 8, verse 15, and then a little bit later when, when Pharaoh tells the dream to Joseph, verse 24. Three times Pharaoh explains that he is distraught because there's no one that can interpret the dream. And so we see the cupbearer remembers, Pharaoh calls Joseph, and then Joseph, I want you to see how Joseph honors God. I mean, first of all, Joseph, they went to the pit. This is a dungeon. This is not a holiday inn. This is not paradise. This is not a modern prison. This is a pit. They go and they bring Joseph out, and the very first thing they do is they shave him for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is not customary for a shaved man or an unshaven man to come before Pharaoh, but they also have to have a change of clothes. Now, Joseph has been in a pit. He's unshaven probably because he's unbathed. He doesn't have the, the creature comforts of taking care of himself. They change his clothes because he's probably wearing the same clothes that he was wearing the last time the cupbearer saw him two years ago. He, he is in misery in this pit. And so they shave him, they give him new clothes, and then they bring him before Pharaoh. And I want you to see that Joseph, in this moment, he is confident before Pharaoh and humble before his God. Pharaoh says to him, I have heard that you can interpret my dream. And the very first thing Joseph does is he corrects the king. Well, listen to what Joseph says. It, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't stand before Pharaoh and flatten, flatter him. He doesn't make a big deal about his own abilities. He, he, he doesn't grovel before the most powerful man in the world. The most powerful man in the world says something to Joseph, and Joseph, the first words out of his mouth, he says, no, you're wrong. It's not me. It is God. He, he, he's clear. He's bold. He's, he's direct. Let's just pause for a minute and, and think about how refreshing it is when, when men and women of God are clear and bold and direct with what's true about God. When we forget that 
we have a spine and when we grovel before people and we're, when we're flattering others instead of just being clear and direct with the truth of God. Look, look how refreshing this is. And so you have the story develop and then you have verses 17 through 24. Pharaoh simply tells his dreams to Joseph. He tells the dreams to Joseph. So God has provided the dreams. God has positioned all of these people into the right spots. And let's continue. Verses 25 through 32, we see God provides the dream's interpretation. Verse 25. Then Pharaoh, or then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after, the seven, after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. <laughs> you know what Joseph's message to Pharaoh is? God has provided his revelation of his salvation. God has provided to Pharaoh his revelation. God is speaking to you. God is telling you what he is about to do. This is incredible. God's telling you what he's about to do. And so then Joseph, by God's spirit, interprets the dreams. He says, first of all, the good, the good and attractive cows. By the way, can anyone describe for me what an attractive cow looks like? You, you, ever, you ever like drive by a, a, you know, a, a ranch or something and like, there's one fine looking cow, right? That's, that's what we have here, right? It says, it says the attractive cows, these are seven years, the, the good grain, the, the seven years of plenty, of incredibly fruitful harvest. It's going to be wonderful. But then he says that the seven ugly cows, by the way, I can point out an ugly cow to you really easily. <laughs> that cow is ugly, right? So the, the seven ugly cows and, and the grain that has been scorched by the eastern wind. Here are seven years of famine that is severe. He says the seven years of famine is going to be so severe that people are not even going to be able to remember the good years. This is how devastating this famine is going to be. I mean, God is revealing to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Imagine if nine years ago, seven years before COVID came, God came in clear message and he says, here's what I'm about to do. How would we have prepared you think these last two years might have gone a little bit differently? <laughs> if God were to say, these are my plans, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And so we see here that the seven good years are coming. And then seven devastatingly difficult years are coming. But the point of all of this is, is this is fixed by God. The doubling of the dreams very simply means it's fixed by God. 
Every time so far in Joseph's life, dreams have come in pairs because God is speaking every single time. He's saying, I am about to do something. I am at work. It might be behind the scenes. You might not fully understand, but God is behind the scenes and God is working. And so Joseph interprets the dream by by the Spirit of God. But then Joseph doesn't sit down. Joseph doesn't shut up. Joseph keeps speaking. He goes beyond the interpretation, and he gives what I'm going to call Joseph's strategic proposal based upon God's revelation. Here's what Joseph does. He says, I know what God's going to do. God has revealed something, and so this is how we should live based on what God has revealed. You see a parallel there? Let me, let me show you what I mean. Verses 33 through 36. Joseph's strategic proposal based upon God's revelation Joseph is speaking here. He says, Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these years, of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. And let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through famine. Joseph just lays it out there. Here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. Let me, let me give you instructions on how you need to proceed based upon the revelation of God's word. I want you to notice two things here. First of all, there is a contrast being built in the story. The contrast goes all the way back to when Pharaoh, he couldn't find no one to interpret his dreams. Who did Pharaoh call to interpret his dreams? The wise men. He he called the wisest of the wise, the most intellectual. He called the magicians. He called all of the educated. He called anybody or everybody who is anybody, and not one of them had the wisdom to understand what God is doing. But Joseph, this, this man who a few hours ago was shackled and in the pit, who needed to be shaved and cleaned to be brought in front of Pharaoh, Joseph stands out as the one who is wise and discerning. Why? Because true wisdom isn't based on education. True wisdom isn't based on your, your studies of whatever field that is before you. Those things are not bad. Those things are important. But true wisdom we see here is gauged by his relationship, his knowledge of the one true God. This is what makes Joseph stand out in this moment. Joseph has true wisdom because he, he, knows, he knows God. I want you to see this contrast, and then I want you to see the proposal is to is to live based upon God's revelation. Let me put it this way for us today. For us, what does that mean? It means to live based upon God's word. I mean, has not God said? Has not God given instructions? Has not God told us how to live? Has not God told us how to be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has not God told us what to believe? Has not God even told us in part what he is about to do? And so Joseph lays it out. He says, you, you, need to, you need to have a strategic plan based upon what God has revealed. God, God provides the revelation. God provides the interpretation. And, and then we see God provides Joseph's promotion. 
Because of this contrast, because all of the wise men and all of the magicians are inept, and this slave in prison is wiser and more discerning than all of them, look at what happens next. God provides Joseph's promotion, verses 37 through 45. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? What's the distinguishing mark of Joseph's life? The Spirit of God. Verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne shall I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain on his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanoth Paneah and gave him in marriage Asenoth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Wow. Now, I want you to see the impact of Joseph's bold testimony before Pharaoh. I mean, I want you to see the impact of Joseph's bold testimony, which made it obvious that Joseph was different because he has the Spirit of God. I mean, just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me what would have happened if Joseph, instead of standing strong in the Spirit of God, what would have happened if Joseph tried to flatter Potter, or tra- tried to flatter Pharaoh? What would have happened if? Joseph kind of just shied away from talking about God. Oh, yeah, I can interpret that for you. Instead of saying, no, it's God that does the interpretation. What if he would have shied away from talking about God? What if he would just back down and not be so bold? What would have happened? Here's what I would propose to you. What I think would have happened is nothing would have happened. Nothing. No interpretation. No ultimate fulfillment. No promotion. See, uh, here's the connection I want to draw. I think that our attempts to soften our faith in public do us no good at all. When you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, when we beat around the bush, when we soften our faith, when we leave God out, when we're shy about what we believe, when we, when we, as Jesus would say, keep our light under a bushel, when we are shameful about our faith and put God behind us, in the hopes of pleasing man, what happens? Nothing. We seek to earn the approval of man by by hiding God and instead of letting the Spirit of God which lives in everyone who has trusted in Jesus, instead of letting that Spirit of God move powerfully, we, we become inept. 
and weak with no witness. This doesn't mean that you should try to be offensive with truth and that you should go and looking, look for a, a fight about spiritual things. But, but what it does mean is that you and I, we should take a cue from Joseph here and be bold, be forthright, be direct, be unashamed, be willing to let truth be truth and let God do with truth whatever he sees fit. See, this is, this is how Joseph acted and look at what God ended up doing. God promoted him. Look at what Joseph receives. First of all, Joseph receives a high position. Pharaoh says that I'm going to be Pharaoh, but you're going to run things. He says, I'm going to be the king, but you're going to run everything, right? Basically, Joseph becomes the prime minister where there is a king who vacations and shows up at public events and shakes hands and kisses babies. But, but really, Joseph is the one in charge of everything. Pharaoh says that no one lifts a hand or a foot without you telling them to do so, Joseph. Jo Joseph is given an incredibly high position. Not only that, Joseph is given power. You see what Pharaoh does? He takes his signet ring off of his own hand and he places it on Joseph's hand. This is the ring that is used to make a royal decree. Joseph can now make a royal decree and he can signify it with the signet ring. And whatever Joseph says now is as if Pharaoh himself is saying it. Not too bad for a guy that a few hours ago was in shackles in a pit. Joseph receives this position. He receives this power. Look at the prestige that Joseph also receives. Pharaoh puts a gold chain on his neck. He gives him brand new garments. And remember, garments is a great theme in the life of Joseph. The Joseph's story begins with being given a special coat. And then his brothers tear that coat and spill blood on it when they sell him into slavery. And then Joseph in Potiphar's house, when Potiphar's wife tries to approach him for sexually explicit activities, what happens? She pulls his robe off of him. And now Joseph has to change his robe to come and appear before Pharaoh. And now Pharaoh puts on him fine linen clothing. And the prestige is even more. Joseph gets to ride in the second chariot. It's like, it's like the Pharaoh has a Ferrari and a Lamborghini. He says, I like the Ferrari more, so you get to drive the, the Lambo, right? And you know, when Joseph walks around, people call out, bow the knee. I mean, let's try that tomorrow at work. I want you to go into work, and I want you to, I want you to tell one of your associates, I want to say, you go, go to work, say, hey, when I come in this room, I just want you to yell out, bow the knee. I want to see what happens, right? Just tell, come back and tell me how that goes for you, by the way, okay? I would love to hear about it. Position, power, prestige. Joseph's even given a pairing. He's given a wife, He's given a wife. He, again, a few hours ago, he's single in dungeon, and now he's married. And look at this. He's married to a woman who is the daughter of a priest in their cultish religion. Now, this doesn't seem like a great thing, but this is, a, this is a, basically a royal family. This is, this is a high marriage. This is wonderful. It, it, from an earthly standing, at least, look at how God elevates Joseph. We're going to talk more about this wife piece in just a little bit. God, God promotes, God provides this promotion for Joseph, but, but big picture for the nations, for Egypt, God provides also for Egypt. 
Look at how God provides for Egypt. First of all, Pharaoh's dream of seven years is of seven good years is fulfilled. Verses 46 through 49. Turn back to the text with me. It says Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Did anybody remember how old he was when he was sold into slavery? 17. 13 years, almost half of his life, he's been a slave and in prison. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout or through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the good food for these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. But talk about a great seven years. They get to the point in their harvest where they can't even measure the amount they're producing. Seven incredible, incredibly attractive cows. <laughs> this, is, this is seven years. But Pharaoh's dream of seven lean years is fulfilled as well. Scroll down to verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Seven ugly cows. Seven lean years. Seven years that are so hard that people forget the seven years of abundance. God provides. In a very real way, God has provided his revelation of his earthly salvation. God has provided for Egypt, but keep going. Verse 57, we see that not only did God provide for Egypt, God provides for the world. He provides for the whole world, at least the known world in that time, in that place. Verse 57, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. This doesn't mean people from North America were coming. This is the known world at that time, the developed world, the, the, the hub surrounding Egypt. They all just came because they could find the grain. They could buy the grain. Look, God provides salvation for countless lives because God provided a dream and God positioned his people and God provided the interpretation. See what God's doing here. You see here in this story, the big picture, if you step back and you just take a big picture view of this story, here's what you see. God provides his revelation for his salvation. In fact, you can't be saved today without his revelation. Without knowing the, the true and greatest revelation of God, which is Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, that he died as a substitute for your sin, was buried and resurrected. That is the greatest revelation. And that revelation, if you believe it, it provides the greatest salvation. That's the core of the entire Bible. 
seen as a precursor in this life of Joseph all those years before, but, but I want to turn back to the life of Joseph for just a minute more. Because I want us to see how God provided for Joseph. Look at how God provides for Joseph. And I want to draw some connections to how, if you have trusted Christ, how God provides for you today. Go back to verse 50. We skipped over verses 50 through 52. Let me, let me return to that for a moment. Verse 50 says, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now earlier we saw that Joseph was renamed by Pharaoh. Joseph was given an Egyptian name. But when Joseph's sons are born, I want you to notice, Joseph doesn't name them Egyptian names. Joseph has not acclimated to the culture. Joseph is not saying, well, I guess I'm an Egyptian now, and I'm going to just grab onto the Egyptian life. When Joseph, when his sons are born, he gives them Hebrew names, names of significance, so much significance that it doesn't just use their name, but then Joseph interprets it. He, he explains it. Look at these two names. The first name, Manasseh. He says, God has caused me to forget my hardship. You want to see what's happening with Joseph right here? Joseph has been a great victim. Joseph has experienced great hardship. I mean, think about it. Sold into slavery by flesh and blood, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison for we're not even sure exactly how many years. All of that. And Joseph here in this moment when his first son is born, he says, God has caused me to forget my hardship. Here's what Joseph is saying. He's saying, I am not stuck in the pain of my past. I'm not stuck in the pain of my past. Brothers and sisters who have trusted in Christ, how often do we get stuck in the pain of our past? How often do we say things like, oh, let me tell you about how this person has hurt me. And how about this person has betrayed me? I hear people say things like, I'm never going to be part of church because these people were bad to me at one point, and this people did something wrong to me. And we, we walk around collecting the pain of our past and holding it so tightly and letting the pain of our past define us right now until we end up being stuck, holding on to nothing but our pain by our list of all the times we've been a victim. Joseph, his firstborn son, Joseph declares, I, I'm not stuck in the pain of my past. How much more for those in Christ? I mean, this is an earthly salvation for Joseph and for Egypt and for the world. How much more for those in Christ who have an eternal salvation if you're sitting here and you have trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, what does that mean for you? It means that your sins have been forgiven, not in part, but completely washed away. It means that you are destined for eternity in the glories of heaven. It means that God now calls you his child and his own and that his spirit dwells in you. You need not be stuck in the pain of your past. Manasseh. And what about the second name? Ephraim. 
Ephraim, Joseph says, God has caused me to be fruitful in, in the land of my affliction. God has caused him to be fruitful. Actually, the text, it technically says twice fruitful, maybe because he's got a second son. But the point here is, is Joseph recognizes he is in the land of his affliction. Egypt might be externally in a, a paradise, but Joseph's not an Egyptian. Joseph should be with his family. He, he should be with his father. He should be back in the land of Canaan. He should be with his own people, but he's not. He recognizes that even with the power and the prestige and the position and all of the bells and whistles, he is still in the land of his affliction, and yet he is not stagnant in the land of his affliction. He is fruitful in the land of his affliction. Let's, let's cross that bridge to today into your life. How many of us are dealing with not just pain of our past, but affliction right now? Life's not working out the way you want it to. There is hardship. There is frustration. There is relationships that are, that are terrible, that should be wonderful. There is hurt all around. You're not living the life that you expected. You're not living how you thought you would be by this time in your life. Listen, is that causing you to become stagnant? Well, you know life's hard, and this is difficult, and this is unfair. And so because of all of these things... Now, I'm just going to quit pressing forward. Listen, Joseph says, I am twice fruitful in the land of my affliction. And this isn't just talking about being fruitful by building a family and, and going to work and providing for them. This is more than that. This is being fruitful spiritually speaking. How many of us are sitting stagnant on the sidelines when the work of God is moving forward? And we're not participating. We're twilling our thumbs or maybe even sitting on our hands. Our spiritual growth is it's stalled. We're barely reading the word. We're barely in prayer. Maybe we're coming to church regularly. That's awesome. But we're not serving and we're not growing and we're not helping others grow and we become stagnant. Joseph says, I am fruitful. This is a call to you. This is a call to you to not be sitting on your hands and not be stagnant even if life's not working out the way you want it to. Why? Because jo Joseph was experiencing life not working out the way he wanted to. He was fruitful. Ephraim. Ephraim. God has caused me to forget my hardships, and God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. For those in Christ, God, through the work of Christ, can help you forget your pain, to not be stuck in it. And God can make you fruitful in whatever you're experiencing today. As I close, I'm going to, I'm going to read that text one more time, and I'm going to pause between each name, and I'm just going to give you a chance to reflect before the Lord. I'm going to give you a chance to take whatever pain it is that you might be holding on to, and just take a moment and go to the Lord, and remember that in Christ, you can find healing, and you can find hope. And then after that, I want you to go to the Lord, and, and maybe the lack of fruitfulness in your life, and trust that the Lord still wants to use you, still, is still working in your life. Would you go ahead and just take a moment, close your eyes, bow your head, and, and just meet with him for just a moment. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house.
In the name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Father, we, we just thank you for this great story and how much of yourself we get to learn about. We thank you for the way that you, you don't just provide salvation, but you provide your revelation of your salvation. And we thank you that you've ultimately provided that in the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we pray today if there's anyone in this room or anyone watching online who have who has yet to, to know the revelation of your salvation, I pray that today would be the day that you would show yourself to them. You would show us each the great need we have for the great Savior, Jesus Christ, and that you would help all of us by faith trust to trust in him. And Father, we also pray for just the, the way this text meets us today in our very lives for the pain of our past that so often clings to us and finds ways to make us stuck. Lord, I pray that you would help us to forget the pain of our past and to be able to move forward into the future you've called us to. And Lord, I pray for those who, who maybe find themselves stagnant because of the affliction, because of the difficulty of life. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us in those moments turn our eyes away from the difficulty and remember once again Jesus Christ risen from the grave. And we would remember the hope that we have and so we would be able to move forward in this life being fruitful, whatever that might look like. All for the name and glory of Jesus. Amen.